Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. <sighs> the last two books that I did between... Cartel 6 and Cartel 7 seem to go so quickly. <laughs> like, one, one of them I read in like three days. What kind of game is that? Part of the game is that. Like, I literally read these other books to take my mind away from this. And you have me speeding through books at the speed of light. Like, And it wasn't like I read for extra time. No, every episode was still like 51 Minutes between 45 and 51 minutes. One went an hour, but that's because I was talking about some sad stuff. And now I'm back. The Cartel 7. Illuminati Roundtable of Bosses. A.K.A. Illuminati Roundtable of... We're just coming up with names now because we're tired of this series too. We just can't admit it because we're making money. A.K.A. Illuminati Diamonds Are Forever Throw Up the Dynasty Symbol. Anyhow. Let's get in and out. Chapter 1. The beautiful skyline of Kolkata, India, astonished as they all stared out of their windows. The tall building structures were advanced and bright lights lit up the sky as they prepared to descend for landing. Carter looked on in amazement, never having seen anything so beautiful. The scenery reminded him of New York at night, back home in the States, which was shocking to him. Never would he have thought the country could be so modern and picturesque. Everyone was well rested, except Carter. He had stayed up the majority of the flight, wondering what he had been sucked into. This some movie shit, he thought to himself after thinking about the tactics they went through to recruit him and his counterparts. Ghost stepped from the cockpit, where he and the pilot were during the flight. Good morning, everyone. We're approaching the city of Kolkata. This is where my team of scientists are located and waiting on your arrival. They are currently duplicating the drug we call Lolita, which is derived from the Rebe flower, as I explained before. This will guarantee the well-being of your lives, kids, and grandchildren. Generational wealth is inevitable. Welcome to the future, he said smoothly, just before he disappeared back into the cockpit and closed the door behind him. It seemed as if he disappeared before any of them had the chance to ask questions or reply. As always, Ghost was smooth and mysterious, and his persona and his name matched perfectly. His ghost-like characteristics gave him a mystique and essence that were unfamiliar to them all. His ability to convince successful drug lords to come together and not create a hierarchy or totem pole was brilliant. Is that nigga smooth like that all the time? Brick ass, breaking the quiet tension within the aircraft. Everyone chuckled and it broke the ice amongst a group of strangers. Brick was a heavier set man with a dark, full beard and raspy voice. He wore dark Versace shades to hide his eyes as he displayed his smile and looked around. 
Small chatter began as all the different personalities began to discuss their new venture. You think this shit is really legit? A man asked as he put the question on the floor for discussion. He wore a well-tailored suit with the tie slightly loosened. The cut of his pants was perfect and obviously costume fitted. His slim frame and broad shoulders were athletic and his salt and pepper beard suggested he was a gentleman of a certain age. Shit, it has to be. Our meeting was in the fucking Vatican, Millie said as she emphasized the sacred venue that their initial meeting was in. Carter Jones remained silent as he sat in the back of the aircraft and listened closely to the open conversation. Not being the one for small talk, he was interested in seeing what was to come from all of this. He had other things on his mind, such as his wife, Mia Moore, his son, and the cartel organization as a whole. He decided to keep mum so he could fill everyone out before engaging in the fraternizing. He did notice one thing, though. The older of the two ladies, Anari, was sitting back listening as well. She didn't say too much, and they kept locking eyes with each other, both trying to figure the other out. Only time would tell the relationship that these two would incur. Friend or foe, both wondered, feeling the power the other one held. It was something about a powerful person that was radiant, and they both felt it. Great, he's going to fuck Anari. The aircraft landed smoothly on the private runway and five black SUVs were awaiting their arrival, one for each person. They all stepped off the jet to a red carpet that led them to the row of cars. Each door was open, and a chauffeur stood there, all of them wearing black suits and shades. They all were of Indian descent, hired guns by Ghost and his board members. Ghost stood at the top of the plane stairs as all the bosses reached the bottom. Your personal cars are waiting for you, and we'll take you to your next location, Ghost said loudly, so everyone could hear him loud and clear. Right this way, ma'am, one of the chauffeurs said to Anari, as she was the first to get escorted to her vehicle. Everyone else followed suit and got into the luxury truck that had champagne and fruit awaiting them in the back seat. Once everyone was secure in their car, they exited in a single file line, heading to a resort where they will rest for the night. After a short ride, they arrived at a private estate that was surrounded by a lake. It was in the hills of Kolkata, where the air was moist, but warm. As they all stepped out of cars, the huge castle-like mansion was before them. The beautiful gray brick mansion had a wraparound driveway that seemed to be the size of a football field. The gargoyle statues on top of the castle gave it a dark, gothic appearance. The moon seemed as if it was shining directly onto the historic place for their viewing pleasure. Wow, this shit keeps getting better and better, Brick said as he stepped out of the car and nodded his head in approval of the palace. One by one, they all stepped out and stood side by side. Ghost was standing in the driveway, waiting for them. He began to walk towards them and stood front and center. They were all surprised he had made it there before them, and they never even saw him get off the plane. Ghost stood with his arms crossed and his legs shoulder-width apart as he waited until all eyes were on him before he said a word. Welcome to your place of residence for the next two weeks. Ghost unleashed a small grin. Allow me to show the place, he said just before he led them in. A doorman was standing at the door in a tuxedo awaiting their entry. As they filed into the house, the pleasant smell of flowers invaded their nostrils and shiny marble floors were at their feet. The high ceilings and space were high-end and luxurious. The porcelain staircase and handcrafted podiums were marble and added a cherry on top the already astonishing place. The mansion was immaculate, to say the least. Ghost continued to host the bunch, intoning, This was the great emperor's home, and this will be our haven on this brief trip. So, rest up, guys. Get rest and relax. Tomorrow, I'll be taking you to the lab so you can see how everything is made firsthand. Your rooms are assigned to each one of you individually, and your name is on the door. Go straighten his tie and looked at each one of them in the eye. His strong jawline and impeccable posture made him look presidential and solid. Oh, how could I forget? Each of you has a personal masseuse for your tension or whatever stresses you guys need worked out of your body, Ghost said while growing a smirk on his face. He then clapped twice, loudly, which echoed throughout the home. Within seconds, a line of women appeared at the top of the stairs.
each of them wearing sultry lingerie and standing with a model's posture. They all smiled and were of Indian descent. All of them were different sizes, but equally beautiful. Fellas, the ladies will help you get that tension out, Ghost said as he smiled and winked at the guys. And of course, for the ladies, Ghost clapped again, and two well-built shirtless men appeared in the line as well. Both had perfect smiles and tans that were sun-kissed. Whoa, homeboy, I think you have me mistaken, Millie said as she stepped forward, showing off her fit body. She wore a casual sweatsuit, but her curves were still noticeable. I don't play on that side, feel me? She said, letting her sexual orientation be known. Everyone began to chuckle at her bluntness. I want little mama right there, she said as she looked up at the tall, slim woman in line. They both locked eyes, and the sexual energy was created instantly. Millie ran her tongue across her top lip and smiled, displaying her perfectly straight pearl teeth. Well, I guess that's that, Ghost said, while smiling and rubbing his hands together. Each of you has a suite upstairs, and a 24-hour chef is on staff. Just simply pick up your room phone and tell him what you want. Other than that, the night is yours. I suggest you guys relax and rest up. We have a full day tomorrow. Tomorrow is the beginning of a new regime. Ghost walked towards the exit. I'll be staying in the guest home, just across the lot. A cell phone is on each nightstand, and my number is saved in each one. Any questions or qualms, don't hesitate to text me. Good night, he said. And just like that, he was gone. Carter stood back and watched. He wanted to see who would jump first. He wanted to see who had the vice of sexual pleasure. He personally had no desire to be with another woman for two reasons. One, he was madly in love with Mia Moore and felt that he was the reason she was in jail. He was madly in love with her now and wanted to be faithful now, but we'll see. The thought of being with another woman while she sat in a small cell was unsettling. But the thought of you being with Yasmin while she was pregnant and having your baby wasn't was nothing. Okay. Two. He was here to get the money. He was interested in what Ghost was offering, and the fact that he had offered to pull strings for Mia Moore's release had Carter committed to the proposal. Carter watched as everyone headed up the stairs, grabbing a girl to accompany them as they disappeared into their quarters for the night. He noticed that Inari didn't even give the men a glance as she brushed right past him and headed to her room. Who is she? He asked himself as he watched her closely. A lone girl stood at the top of the stairs, waiting for Carter as he stood there and thought to himself, Sweetheart, I won't be needing your company tonight, unfortunately. Have yourself a good night, Carter said as he gave her a half smile, smoothly sliding both of his hands into his slack pockets. He slowly climbed the stairs and walked past the lady in red. Although he had no plans on utilizing her services, he did, however, get a peek of her voluptuous body through the see-through lingerie. Her erect nipples pointed directly at him. Her dark areolas were on full display, and her gloss lips made her that much more enticing. However, Carter stood his ground and walked right past the olive-colored beauty. He retired to his room and was taken aback as soon as he stepped in. The marble floors were like a sea of blue water with the black lining throughout. It was simply amazing. The canopy bed had sheer fabric draped over the California king-size mattress. The room was spacious and resembled a luxury hotel. Carter walked through the room, observing every nook and cranny. He made his way towards the rear and the double doors that led to the balcony. The moonlight shined through the curtains, providing illumination to the scenery. Carter opened the doors and stepped out onto the balcony and saw that it was a view of the lake in the back. The moonlight bounced off the water and Carter stepped to the edge and admired the view. The cool air soothed him, and he closed his eyes and tears began to form. The thought of Mia Moore being in a cold cell tormented his soul, and beautiful views like the one he was currently witnessing only flooded guilt into his heart, knowing that hers was that of four cement walls. Mia Moore was truly the love of his life, and his heart ached for her. Although she was the strongest woman he had ever known, he knew that prison wasn't humane. I love you with all of my heart, he whispered as a single tear flowed down his cheek. He quickly wiped it away. He thought about his son as well, and it was hard being away from little CJ. 
However, it was easier to deal with, knowing that his sister Breeze was watching over him. Or so he thought. Dun, dun, dun. He stared into the lake and assessed the current dilemma. He began to think about the things Ghost had presented to them, and how he said he had major political connections regarding the success of moving the new drug. Carter began to wonder if Ghost could use those same connections to help his situation with the FBI, Mia Moore, and reuniting his family. He quickly turned around and went back into the room, looking for the nightstand and the cell phone that Ghost referred to earlier. He walked over to the phone and saw the Blackberry, just as described. He picked it up and began to look through the contacts. Ghost's name was already stored in it, and that's when Carter sent the text. I would like to speak with you alone, if possible. A few moments later, Carter got a return text from Ghost, instructing him to walk across the yard and meet him in his personal via that sat about 100 yards away from the mansion Carter was currently in. Carter sat on the bed and took a deep breath, trying to figure out the best way to approach Ghost and ask him about his personal family situation. Inari let the steaming hot water run on her head and down her body as she enjoyed the water's massage. She rested her hands on the stone-tiled shower walls and thought about the opportunity at hand. She was a retired drug dealer, and that came with no pension or retirement plan. Her money had been running low, and although she had vowed to never enter the drug game again, this opportunity was much needed and seemed to have low risk. She kept replaying the words of ghosts over and over in her head, trying to make sense of the proposition. She was a street legend back in the States, and her name held power. Many rappers, entertainers, and celebrities within the black community acknowledged what she had done in the streets for years throughout the Midwest. She had been one of few throughout history that had been on the Fed's radar and escaped a guilty verdict. She was the female Teflon Don in every sense of the word. She was bulletproof. Not for nothing either. She was highly intelligent and moved to her own beat and drum. She and her husband had become urban legends. Inari stepped out of the shower and quickly wrapped herself in the oversized terry cloth towel. She walked out of the bathroom and opened the closet door. It was fully stocked with new clothes, and as she began to thumb through it, she noticed that every piece of clothing was her exact size. Wow, they really did their homework, she whispered to herself as she picked out a pair of silk pajamas and headed towards the bed, thinking about what she had fallen into. She then exited the room and walked throughout the house, getting more comfortable with her surroundings. She reached a den that sat in the middle of the beautiful home and saw that there was a table with an ivory chess set. Being a big chess fan, she sat down and began to play a game with herself. What is this guy's angle? Is this shit real? Anari asked herself as she pushed the pawn up two spaces. Ironically, she felt as if she were a pawn in the grand scheme of things a position she felt very uncomfortable in. Although Inari was a woman, she had always played the king of the board. She was determined to get to the source of Ghost's intentions. She knew that he wasn't the main guy, because if so, she wouldn't have seen him. She knew and understood fully that power moved in silence. Carter exited the place and looked across the yard and saw a small building with the light on. He began to walk over, he looked at the end of the long driveway and toward the gate entrance and saw two gunmen standing guard with assault rifles. He didn't know if they were keeping people from getting onto the property or keeping guests in. He shook his head and focused on the small via-like building across the lawn. He approached the front door and gave it a few knocks and waited for a response. Moments later, Ghost answered the door. He was shirtless and sweating. A gym towel was wrapped over his shoulders as he breathed heavily while using the tip of the towel to wipe the sweat beads from his forehead and smiling. Hey man, come in, Ghost said as he stepped to the side, clearing the path so Carter could walk in. Thanks, Carter said under his breath as he proceeded to walk in. He observed the small studio apartment. It only had a treadmill, a small kitchen, and a bed. The floors were made of wood and the room had four brick walls. The marble countertops and dark wood cabinets that matched the floors were modern and resembled a high-end Manhattan apartment. You have to excuse me. Just got a five-mile run-in before bed, Ghost said as he walked over to the dresser and pulled out a t-shirt. No worries, Carter said as he leaned against the wall and slid his hands into his pockets. 
What's up? Is everything okay? Ghost asked just as he slid the shirt over his head and onto his body. No, not really. I want to talk to you about something, Carter began. Okay, shoot. Ghost answered as he walked closer to Carter and folded his arms in front of his chest. Well, I remember what you said back at the Vatican about you having connections and political ties, right? Carter quizzed. Yeah, of course. Well, you see, I have a problem back home that I need help on. It's my wife. Mia Moore, Ghost said, cutting him off mid-sentence. Yeah, Carter answered, confused, wondering how Ghost had read his mind. Ghost chuckled as he walked over to the kitchen and reached on top of the refrigerator. You drink scotch, Ghost said as he then pulled two glasses from the cabinet. Sure, Carter said as he stood straight up and began to rub both of his hands together. Ghost poured them both a drink and then handed Carter a glass. They took sips simultaneously, both looking at each other in the eyes. Ghost continued the discussion. I know what you're going through with your wife and family. Like I said... My partners and I have been watching all of you for years, and we know about the trouble she's gotten herself into. Yeah, it's been a bumpy ride. Can you really help me? Carter asked with skepticism. I believe I can. There are ways we can make things disappear. The law is much more lenient to our establishment and the people who are in business with us. You see, you have a unique situation because Mia Moore is already convicted. However, there is more than one way to skin a cat, Ghost said just before he downed the remainder of his scotch and walked over to the kitchen counter. He set the glass in the sink and reached into a kitchen drawer, pulling out a legal-sized manila folder. He walked back over to Carter and handed him the envelope. What's this? Carter asked. He accepted the envelope and looked down at it in confusion. Go ahead. Take a look, Ghost answered as he once again folded his arms in front of his chest. Carter opened the envelope and reached into it, pulling out a stack of photos. He began to look through the pictures and frowned in perplexity. He didn't recognize anyone in the pictures. He did notice that each picture had a similar character, a 30-something white man. I don't get it. I don't recognize anyone. What am I looking at, and what does this have to do with my family? Carter asked. You're looking at the DA that prosecuted your wife. Also, that's him taking bribes from various criminals over the past two years, Ghost said with no emotion. Carter instantly began to realize why the pictures were so important. Oh yeah? Carter said under his breath as he continued to flip through. That's right. This changes everything and turns the odds in your wife's favor. If we could prove that the DA was soliciting illegal funds during your wife's trial... It's a big chance that we can get a retrial, and from that point, we have the resource to sway any juror that's in the courtroom. We have our ways to make people see things our way, if you know what I mean. A random audit, pressure from local police, or monetary compensation for their cooperation. Whatever needs to be done to get her free, we'll handle it. Ghost slowly paced the floor. Carter watched closely and studied his calm demeanor and looked into his eyes, trying to find an inkling of him lying. But he couldn't. Ghosts was a real thing. So, you think you can really get me a more released? Carter asked with blatant skepticism in his tone. I don't think. I know we can. Like I said, if you help us with our goal, we can help you with yours. Ghost said as he stopped right in front of Carter, while confidently looking into his eyes. This is unbelievable, Carter said as he shook his head. Well, believe it. This isn't what you're used to. This is what white America calls nepotism and political power. This is foreign to people with brown or black skin. People like us can't make calls to the higher-ups to make things go away, or use a political connection to our benefit. This is what you call absolute power, my friend. Well, I'm all in, Carter said as his heart began to beat rapidly. He held his chest, feeling his heart being tender. He knew that after his previous injuries, he would never be the same, so he tried his best to deal with it without exposing it. He smiled and downed the rest of his scotch, ready to do whatever to free the only woman he had ever truly loved. Anari was still playing chess with herself, trying to make sense of it all. She leaned forward and studied each move as if it was her last. Her index finger rested on her temple as she squinted and looked at the chessboard. Something was bothering her, 
and she couldn't quite put her finger on it. She hated the fact that they were cut off from the world and stuck with people she didn't know from Adam. She began to question the real reason she was handpicked by the secret organization. What is the motive, Anari? She whispered to herself as she made her next move. She then spun the board around so she could see the game from the imaginary opponent's view. She realized that was exactly what she was trying to do in real life at that moment. Carter entered back into the house and saw Anari from afar as she sat and played chess. He wasn't tired, so he decided to walk over and join her. As he approached her, her eyes never lifted from the chessboard, and she was laser-focused as she whispered to herself. Mind if I join? Carter said as he stood over her. You can do what you want to do, sir. This isn't my house, she said, not even giving him the respect of looking at him when she talked. Anari was a gangster, effortlessly, and it oozed off her. She was feminine without exploiting her sexuality, but well aware of the power only a woman could possess. I will take that as a yes, Carter answered with a smile. He sat across from her and watched as she continued to analyze the board. So where are you from, he asked as he placed his hand on the knight and made a move. This made Anari break her concentration, sit up, and look at him. He snickered, and her brow furrowed at the arrogant smirk that crossed his face. She would have to concentrate to win this battle. She sensed genius behind his smooth, dark skin as she studied Carter, who was now focusing on the board, thinking about his next move. I'm a citizen of the world, Anari finally answered vaguely as she made a move on the chessboard. He peered up, meeting her gaze. It had to be more than irony, the fact that they were bred the same. They were predators, which meant they were more alike than different. Carter wasn't sure if it was a bad or a good thing, but he respected the fact that she was guarded with her information. Letting the wrong person in could lead to self-destruction, and he knew that, like himself, her trust was earned. She reminded him of his wife, only more calculating. Miyamore may have been deadly, but Inari was bossed up. She reveled in her queendom. Carter recognized royalty when in his presence. This shit crazy, right? Carter whispered as he leaned in closer and looked around. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out their angle. It has to be an angle, Anari said, sharing her thoughts. That's what I've been thinking, Carter agreed as he nodded his head in confirmation. Just then, a short man with all white on came from the rear of the place, wearing a tall white chef's hat. He approached him with a big smile. His fat cheeks seemed to be greased as they shined in the light. Good evening. My name is Victor, and I'm the resident chef. May I prepare something for you, or bring you a beverage? He asked while maintaining his larger-than-life smile. Hello, Victor. I'm good for now, Anari responded as she looked at him and gave a fake grin. Carter just simply shook his head no. Victor nodded his head in understanding and disappeared back to the rear of the house. Just like that, he was gone. You see that shit? Carter whispered. What? This shit is unreal. It's like some real secret society shit. This big ass house, chefs popping up out of nowhere to serve us, a meeting at the Vatican, this doesn't seem real. Man, tell me about it, Anari said, finally letting her guard down and looking Carter in the eye. They shared a smile and the ice was finally broken. So, what's your story? Where did they get you from? Anari inquired. I'm from the States, but I was over in Barcelona when everything went black. Barcelona, Spain? Anari asked in confusion. Yeah, I had to lay low over there. The feds were on me back home, so I had to go into hiding. I was doing my thing in Miami, and then I tried to go legit in Vegas. You know how that goes, though, Carter said as he moved a piece on the board. You're Carter's son, right? Anari asked. She looked closely at his facial features. Also, she knew that anything that moved in Miami was under the umbrella of the cartel. Their reputation rang bells throughout the country as the biggest and most organized crime syndicate in the South. If drug dealing was an art, they would be the Picassos of it. They simply were the best to ever do it. When? When old Carter was alive? Like, at what point? Because with the young ones, mm -mm. Yeah, that was my father. Never met him, though, Carter admitted as he dropped his head and focused on the chessboard. Oh, I see, Anari said, not wanting to ask any more questions. 
She had heard nothing but good things about his father during her time on the streets. Her husband, Vaughn, used to do business with him, and he held Carter in high regard. I heard you used to make it snow in the Midwest. I grew up hearing your name for years. Tony, right? Carter said as he called her by her street alias. Yeah, I did my thing back in the day, Anari confirmed as she moved a chess piece. Check, she added just before looking at Carter. If this is anything like Ghost says it is, we're set for life. This is what them privileged conglomerates have been doing for years. They sell legal drugs and we never seem to get a piece of the pie. They only leave us with the product that comes with a life sentence if sold, Carter explained. It's too good to be true. However, I'm thinking that we didn't have much of a choice. Ghost made it seem like the option was ours, but I truly beg to differ. You see what happened to old girl once she declined. I'm pretty sure I would have been right there with her if I chose to decline. They put it in front of us like they were presenting us an opportunity. But did we really have a choice? Anari said just before she stood up. Checkmate, she added as she trapped his king and walked away. Her words lingered in Carter's thoughts as he began to digest the situation at hand. It was a new world order and he was a part of it. Frankly, he felt as if he were in a dream. But the stakes were high, especially for him. He had no choice but to play the game, hoping that he didn't let it play him in the end. Carter could do nothing but smile and shake his head in disbelief and admiration. He knew there was something special about Inari. There's something about Mary. Also, let me go back because, I mean, they're guessing that everybody just remembers what happened in the last book like they didn't make these books months apart, I guess. So, um... Let me go back and see what happened to her when she left out of that room. Did she get killed? Also, in the last book, part six, she literally heard Ghost introduce Carter as the head of the Cartel of Miami, son of the late Carter Diamond. So, not impressed anymore. And Inari was uh, believed to be worth over a billion dollars, but they're saying in this book she's broke. Okay. I'm just reading through the old book and telling y'all what I found. So from what I'm reading, nothing happened to Dahlia, the woman who was like, I'm not down for this. She just got up and walked out and they were like, thank you for your time. And she was like, cool, peace. So, yeah. Huh. Chapter two. What is time? It's a concept of measuring one's day, measuring one's steps, measuring one's life. It's man-made. An idea made up to hold one accountable for the way they feel their day. At least that's what Mia Moore tried to tell herself to cope with the 15 years she had been sentenced with. Mia Moore stood behind the wooden defense table as the man in the black robe stared down at her. He was perched up so smugly on his judicial throne as he condemned her for the next decade and a half. Even in this moment, fear didn't exist within her. Rage, yes, but fear, never. She would be lying if she said there were no feelings of regret. Mia Moore was being taken from her son, from her husband, from her family. Remorse for the choices that had led her to this moment was a natural feeling, but she still refused to let it weaken her. So, she erased the concept of time from her mind. In that moment, it did not exist. She would not count the times that the sun rose and sat in the sky. She wouldn't acknowledge the years that would age her against her will. She would just be. She would just exist. She would just survive until the day came when she would be a free woman again. Mia Moore held out her hand to still clasp around her wrists, binding her. She looked behind her in the crowd. Not one familiar face was present. They couldn't be. Everyone affiliated with the infamous cartel was a target. Carter was on the run. Aries had gone back underground where Mia Moore hoped her dear friend would stay. Breeze was taking care of the children and Monroe was dead. They were weak. The era of supremacy that they brought to the streets was no longer. The day that they had all tried to avoid for years had finally come. The cartel had been brought to its knees at the hands of the federal government, and the media was out to document the fall from grace. No amount of money could get Mia Moore out of this predicament. She did not cower or cry as the cameras flashed in her face. Her heart beat rapidly as she was escorted by two federal agents to their awaiting transport vehicles outside. They held semi-automatic weapons and were dressed in full protective gear, 
in anticipation of a getaway attempt. All their efforts were for naught, however. There was no grand escape plan. She would take those years on the head. They had offered her a deal to flip on Carter, but she never flinched. Mia Moore was too solid. She would do every single day they had given her without complaint because she was serving them for the man she loved. She would do a lifetime for Carter Jones. Mia Moore eyed the other women that sat solemnly on the bus. They each shared the same fate. They were being shipped away, and most of them would be forgotten. But Mia Moore knew that if no one ever spoke her name again, there was one person who would always remember her. As long as they both breed, the universe would connect them. Carter and Mia Moore. Their love story was epic, and to separate them was to go against the very fabric of God's plan. Neither time nor space could dilute what they shared. She sat down in the back and stared straight ahead to avoid being caught by the cameraman lurking outside the window. Day one of 15 years, she thought, as the bus pulled away from the courthouse. Staring at the bleak, dark journey ahead of her would only make life seem unbearable. She had to block everything out and keep her mind strong to survive. This was the first day and the last day she would count, until they let her go. She had promised herself that. You're going to have to do some time. Our best bet is to enter a plea agreement with the government. The words were spoken, but they couldn't be true. Breeze was the most innocent of them all. Her father had kept her that way. Her brothers had kept her that way. Even Zaira understood the value in keeping Breeze away from the flame. Still, here she was, burnt by the game, just like the rest of them. As she sat at the cold metal desk, handcuffed to her chair, she sighed deeply. Shitburger was the best lawyer on the East Coast and had defended the Diamond family for years. If he was admitting defeat, she knew she stood no chance. How much time, she asked. I can get it down to three years for tax evasion. They don't have anything drug-related to hold over your head. But the money? The money is very dirty. And well, since you're the last one standing, the burden is yours to carry. I'm sorry, Shitburger said sincerely. With good behavior, you'll be out in 18 months. A year and a half was nothing to the common criminal. But to a pamper princess like Breeze, it seemed like an eternity. She was paying for sins that were not her own. This is bullshit, Breeze whispered. Tears stung in her eyes, but Breeze choked them down. There was no room for weakness in this moment. I'm pregnant. My nephews need me. This baby needs me. What's going to happen to them? There's no one left. Where are they? Right now? They're at your home with the housekeeper. If you can't make arrangements for their care, social services will take the boys and your daughter after she's born. No, Breeze replied as she pulled against the handcuffs in frustration. She was shackled like an animal, being arrested for a crime that was not hers to pay for. It all seemed so unfair. There had always been someone in line before her to take responsibility for her family's dirty deeds. How would blame fallen on her? No, they can't do this. You have to get me out of here. Breeze could see the sympathy in her attorney's eyes. She wasn't getting out of this unscathed. The pretty diamond princess would be held accountable for every dirty dollar she spent. They didn't choose this life, she pleaded. Neither did you, but this is where we are, Shipburger replied. I need time to turn myself in. I need time to say goodbye to them. I don't want to have my daughter in prison. Can we work out some type of arrangement with the government that gives me more time? My baby is due in four weeks. That's all I need. I don't know if we've paid you millions over the years. I don't want to hear anything except yes, I will make it happen, Breeze demanded. Shipburger nodded and then stood to leave the room. Oh, and Shipburger, she added. He paused in his tracks and turned to face her. Breeze's normally demure demeanor was extinguished and replaced with the rage he had never seen from her. I need an attorney from your firm to expedite my divorce. If I'm going to prison, I'm going wearing my father's last name, not the name of a snitch. Shipburger nodded and left the holding cell. When she was alone, Breeze's chest heaved in distress. The world felt like it was caving in. She was alone and her back was against the wall. She had become so accustomed to her family handling things. Even when the men were exiled in Saudi Arabia, Mia Moore had taken a lead. Now, it was all on her. Everything. 
Every responsibility had fallen into her lap by default. She now owned every burden, and for the first time she realized how heavy the crown truly was. Breeze wished that her parents were allowed to help her. She wished her brothers were allowed to help her. Being the last one standing wasn't a privilege at all. Breeze was sickened. She couldn't wrap her mind around the idea of going away and leaving the children without protection. Hours passed. Federal agents came and went. They didn't want Breeze. They wanted Carter. But she lived by a code that even Zaire had not been strong enough to uphold. She wasn't telling. Not even to save the future generation of diamonds. The federal agents used every tactic within the law to get her to break, but she held firm. Hours passed before Shipburger came to her rescue. Breeze sat chained like an animal, her head resting on the table. She was disheveled, and if she didn't get out of the small room fast, she was going to go crazy. Shipburger entered the room with Agent Rivard. We're giving you 72 hours to get your affairs in order. You'll surrender your passport. Do not try and run. Do not try and skip town. I'll have eyes on you. We'll be kicking in your door at hour 73, so don't try anything. This is a courtesy, Miss Rich. Diamond, Breeze corrected. Well, Miss Diamond, this is a courtesy. If I feel at any time that you're attempting to evade the law, I will arrest you, and a three-year plea deal will be out the window. I'll have the prosecutor go for maximum sentencing, the agent said. Am I clear? I'm not running, Breeze said. The agent removed the handcuffs, and Shipburger wrapped his suit jacket around Breeze's shoulders as he whisked her away. Breeze would be lying if she said she didn't think about running. It would be so simple for her to hop on a jet and put thousands of miles between herself and the law. But she would be exiled. Breeze would never be able to come back, and a three-year sentence wasn't worth a lifetime of her looking over her shoulder. Even though she didn't want to, Breeze would have to sit down for a while. It was a part of the game she never thought she would see, but inevitably, it had come to pass. When they pulled up to her home, she sat there silently, as she wondered how she would tell her nephews the bad news. They've been through so much, she thought. I'll be here to pick you up and take you back to turn yourself in, Shipburger said. She nodded and then exited the car. The house was still as Breeze crept inside. Her housekeeper, Rosa, was asleep on the couch. Breeze walked over to her. Rosa, Breeze whispered. Oh, Miss Rich, thank God you're back. I didn't know what to do. The boys were worried. I stayed because I couldn't leave them here alone, but my daughter's home by herself. I know, Rosa. Thank you for staying. You can go, Breeze said. She rushed over to her purse and reached inside, pulling out her wallet. Here's a little something extra for your troubles. Thank you. But is everything okay? Rosa asked. No. Everything's fucked up, Breeze admitted as she snipped away her tears. She brushed her messy hair out of her face. You can go now, Rosa. Breeze saw the woman to the door, and when she was alone, she rushed to her phone. She thumbed through her contacts until she found the name she sought. Aries, she whispered. She never thought she would call on Aries for a favor. Their tumultuous past hindered them from ever truly forming a true bond, but Breeze had no one else to turn to. She needed someone to take CJ and Mo. Eventually, she would need someone to take care of her daughter. Aries was ruthless, but she was a good mother. Breeze knew that there was no safer place for the kids. Aries wouldn't let anything happen to them. Breeze pressed the call button. She waited with bated breath. Come on, Aries, pick up, she urged. The number you have called is no longer in service. Breeze sank to the floor and covered her mouth to stop herself from crying too loudly. Aries was her last hope. Carter couldn't come back. Zaire was incapacitated. Mia Moore was gone. There was no one to step up in her absence. Her desire to leave town in that moment overwhelmed her. But she was eight months pregnant and in no condition to go on the run. She would have to face her fate and accept the fact that for the next few years... Her family would be torn apart. Breeze inhaled deeply and closed her eyes as her father's voice echoed in her mind. Diamonds are forever. She could hear his deep baritone in her ear as if he were standing right in front of her. You aren't built to break. It's in your blood to be strong. She calmed herself and stood to her feet, wiping the evidence of her emotion from her face. Breeze climbed the stairs to her home. 
It was late and the boys were asleep, but she couldn't help but wake them. Time couldn't afford to be wasted, not when she was counting every hour until they took her away. She opened the door to one of the guest bedrooms and allowed the light from the hallway to spill inside. CJ and Mo looked so innocent, but their entire world was about to be stripped from them for the second time. She turned on the light, interrupting their dreams. Get up, boys, Bree said sternly. Aunt B, you're back, CJ exclaimed. What time is it? Mo asked as he rubbed his eyes. CJ squinted in confusion as he peeled off the covers. It's late, but I have something important I need to tell the two of you. Meet me in the basement, please, Bree said. She heard their groans as they climbed from bed and then went to the basement. She hated what she was about to do, but it had to be done. She didn't want them thrust onto the streets of Miami without knowing exactly who they were or where they came from. No one would be there to protect them, and they would have to use their instincts to navigate through the next few years. She was about to tell them the story of the cartel, starting with their grandfather, Carter Diamond. As the boys descended the steps, Bree sat stoically, her heart heavy with angst. I'm going to jail, she said bluntly. The revelation stopped them in their tracks. I'm not sugarcoating it, because no one in this world is going to make anything easy for you. Especially now. Social services will come and take you away. I have to go away for a few years, but while I'm gone, the two of you are all each other have. Your family, and family sit together, always. Breeze grabbed both of them by their chins and alternated her gaze between them. Look at me. Family is all there is. You take care of each other and never let anyone come between you. Do you understand me? She asked. They nodded, but remained silent. She saw fear in them and sadness filled her. This family comes from the streets. You're both their sons of the cartel, and because of that, people will test you. You have enemies that were made way before you were even born, so you must judge everyone with your third eye. Trust no one but family. Our family is in the drug business. You're not even old enough to know this, but if you're going to be out there without cover, you have to know it. You have to grow up fast, and I'm so sorry for that, but it's important that you move smart. That's how you survive. You outthink everyone around you. Breeze could see in their eyes that they were overwhelmed, but she had to put it on them. They had to absorb things in only hours that had taken her decades to learn. She walked over to the mahogany desk that sat in the corner. Opening the bottom drawer revealed a safe. She opened it, then retrieved two 9mm handguns. She placed them on top of the desk. Come here, she said. Mo's eyes widened in curiosity. Breeze loathed the guns. Everyone she had ever loved had died by the gun. They terrified her, but she had learned to shoot like a marksman at the age of 14. Isn't that convenient? They never talked about that before. Like, not once. Like, that would have came in handy every single time that somebody tried to do her wrong. Or every single time that Mati came at her. Hmm. Okay. Her father had taught all his children how to handle a firearm, but Breeze rarely pulled triggers. She was the only girl in a family full of brothers and an army of goons behind them. Her protection had been inherited since birth. Still, she remembered the nights of shooting beer cans on a diamond estate until she could put a bullet right through the middle. Oh yeah, me and Pa. Me and Pa used to stay in the backyard in Miami and we used to shoot beer cans. <laughs> I just can't see Carter Diamond lining up Coors Light cans in the backyard and saying, here's a pistol, have at it. Hey, get them still reserve cans, homie. Save those. Don't recycle them. Me and my kids got some stuff to do in the backyard. Close my eyes. Nope, still can't see it. Call me John Cena. Pick them up, she said. CJ's hands were so small that they barely fit around the handle. Mo handled it a little better, but still, they were both clueless. Bree stood. Follow me outside, she said. They walked around to the back of the house and gathered on the patio. Starting with Mo, she stood behind him and wrapped her arms around his body, placing her hands around his. Press the button on the side to release the magazine. She pulled out the empty clip and then handed Mo the bullets. 
You place them in one by one, she continued. She remembered her father, teaching her the same routine. Once it's full, push it until you hear the click. She turned the gun around. This is your safety. If it's up and you see this red dot, you can shoot. Red means dead. Remember that. If you don't see red, the gun won't shoot. Always make sure that the safety is off when it's time to use it, she schooled. Breeze couldn't believe she remembered all of this. Word by word, she was telling him what Big Carter once told her. This is your slide. You pull the slide back to put a bullet in the head. You hold the gun in your right hand and secure your left hand under the bottom, she said. This isn't a movie. Don't hold your gun sideways. You hold it straight, steady. Look out over the top and find your aim. You see these two little pieces on top of the barrel, she asked. Yeah, Mo answered. She turned and looked at CJ, who was quivering but listening intently. Come over here so you can see too, Breeze instructed. These are your sights. The front sight should be directly between the grooves of the back sight. If they're aligned, you're ready to hit your target. You concentrate. You breathe. You find what you're trying to hit and close one eye to lock in. Never let your nerves talk you out of pulling the trigger. Once you pull a gun, you'd be ready to use it. It'll be loud and that's okay. It'll kick back on you and that's okay too. Pull the trigger. The gunshot was so loud that Mo dropped the gun instantly. Breeze had expected it. Feeling the power of a gun for the first time was intimidating. Her heart raced at the sound. She gritted her teeth, hating that she was the one who had to teach them this. She was the least skilled and most inexperienced in gunplay out of their family, but she was all that was left. Pick it up and fire again, she instructed. Mo reached down. But I can't even see the tree. It's too dark. You think niggas only come for you in the light? You find a target and you hit it. Dark or not, Breeze stated. Moe's wrist shook nervously. The pistol is yours. You don't have to be afraid of it. What you should fear is the pistol that the person you're aiming at could be getting ready to fire at you. You pull your trigger before your enemy pulls his. Hesitation gets you killed. You don't hesitate. You breathe and you... Before Breeze could finish her sentence, Mo pulled the trigger. She leaned down and kissed the top of his head. Good, she whispered as a tear fell from her eye. She turned to CJ, who looked up at her with angst. Your turn. She spent three days telling them about their past, teaching them to handle a weapon, and making sure they understood that loyalty amongst family was everything. In her heart, she knew it wasn't enough. They were merely boys. They had so many questions, and if she were honest with herself, she had to admit that she was the most unqualified of all the diamonds to answer them. She did the best she could, and as she rode with Shitburger to drop the boys off with social services, she prayed. God, please keep them together. Please watch over them, she thought. She sat in the back seat between them so she could hold their hands. I won't see you for a while, Bree said, her voice cracking against her will. She was sending her cubs into the wild, hoping they didn't get eaten alive. We know, CJ answered. The woe in his voice put a weight on her heart that she would carry with her until they were reunited. She hadn't even been able to focus on her own strife. The fact that she would have to survive in prison on her own had been an afterthought. She was too consumed with preparing her nephews to make it on their own. I love you both so much, and as soon as they free me... I'm going to come get you. We're family, and I promise you we'll be together again, Breeze whispered. The frog in her throat stopped her from going on further. We're here, Shitburger said. I love you, Aunt B, Mo whispered. Oh, I love you too, Mo, Breeze cried, her tears falling now as she hugged him tightly. She pulled CJ closer to her, bringing him into her embrace as well. I love both of you so much. And I'm so sorry for all of this. She kissed the top of their heads. Diamonds are forever, Mo replied. CJ looked up at her with sadness reflected in his eyes. But my daddy ain't a diamond. Bree shook her head and gripped CJ's chin. Your daddy is a diamond, baby. 
He's the firstborn son of Carter Diamond. It doesn't get any purer than that, she assured. Shipburger opened the back door and they all climbed out. Breeze was a mess. She couldn't help herself. This was it. It felt like the final chapter was closing on her family's story. She knelt before them and pulled them both into her, their heads locked in a circle. She closed her eyes. You use your name. You won't have much out here. In fact, you have nothing. But this is Miami. We owned this city once upon a time, and the diamond name is worth something on these streets. Use it when you have to, and keep your name clean always. There are men on these streets who will go to war for you behind your name alone. Many men owe debts to our name, and they will be your allies when you need them. Your names are all you have, but if you use it right, it's all you'll need. Be strong, my boys. They have to go, Breeze, Shipburger said reluctantly. Breeze nodded, wiping the tears from her face as the woman came to separate them. She stood fiercely, like a lioness protecting her cubs. You take care of them, she said passionately. The woman's like, that ain't my job. What? <laughs> not my kids, not my job, like whatever. Come on, boys, this way, the woman stated. They didn't take their eyes off Breeze. They kept looking back at her hopelessly as they were ushered away, and when they disappeared into the glass building, Breeze broke down. She placed a hand over her mouth and cried hysterically as she climbed into the passenger side of Shipburger's car. It was time to turn herself in, and for the first time in days, Breeze thought of her fate. Breeze was paralyzed with dread as Shipburger pulled up to the federal building. How did it come to this, she asked. As soon as the 18-month mark hits, I'll start working on a release for good behavior, Shipburger assured. Just keep your head down until then. You find my grandfather, Emilio Estes. He went off the grid when all this went down, but he will send someone for the kids. You have to use whatever resources it takes to contact him, Breeze urged. I will exhaust all options, Shipburger assured. But it's time you start worrying about yourself. Where you're headed, you can't afford distractions, Breeze. I'm not worried. Mia Moore's there. She'll have my back. There's no one out here watching out for them, Bree said. Mia Moore will not be where you're headed. You're being transferred to South Carolina. The facility is maximum security, Shipburger informed. What? Breeze was shocked. I don't want to be locked away with murderers and rapists without my family there to protect me. It was a part of the three-year deal. You must do hard time, Breeze. The prosecutor insisted, Shipburger said. Breeze was relying on her family's reputation to see her through her bid. The diamond influence would have been heavy in a prison in Florida. It wouldn't be the same if they moved her across state lines. Never did she think she would be the one in this position. It was such a heavy price to pay for spending the dirty money that her family had accumulated. The pedestal that she had lived on her entire life had come crashing down, and there was no one around to cushion her fall. Pedestal? Pedestal? Y'all are acting like this girl hasn't been through hell like seven or eight times now. We still haven't talked about the fact that she's literally a junkie for the rest of her life. Y'all act like shit sweet because y'all didn't talk about it anymore, but you pumped her full of drugs three times a day for months to force her to get hooked on heroin. And somehow, after she came out of that, it was all good, like it never even happened. Y'all are acting like she didn't get sexually assaulted by Mati every day, kidnapped, kept from her family, left in a in an earthquake that separated her from everybody, forced into sex trafficking. Y'all act like this is new for her. The hell that you're putting her through. All right. Breeze held her head high, but her chin quivered uncontrollably. She had never been so scared in her entire life, but she refused to show it. She walked into the prison, praying that she made it out alive. Her nerves were so bad that she couldn't seem to control the shaking of her hands as she held out her wrist for the warden. Welcome to South Sonoma Correctional, the warden said. He was tall, with the palest skin Breeze had ever seen. His bumpy skin and receding hairline accompanied the stern expression on his face. Your reputation precedes you, but let me warn you now. 
Your affiliations outside these walls don't mean anything in here. If you start trouble in here, I don't want any trouble. I just want to do my time, Breeze answered, clearing her throat to stop her voice from revealing just how vulnerable she was. If any one of these guards or inmates knew exactly how soft Breeze was, they would use it against her. She needed to keep to herself and remain low-key. She felt like property as she was transferred from the ward into a guard before she was led into a private room. Take off your clothes and put all your possessions in this bag. Breeze hesitated. Is there a room or a curtain? She asked. Sure, princess. I got a private suite for you too, with the king bed. Breeze didn't miss the sarcasm. She turned around and stepped out of her dress. This ain't your personal wardrobe, Diamond. Speed it up, the guard said as she threw the khaki-colored uniform at her. Breeze bit her tongue and bent down to pick up the clothing before putting it on. The polyester made her skin itch. Breeze was accustomed to a certain lifestyle. She would have to expect nothing. That way, whatever was not received couldn't be missed. When she got down to her wedding band, she asked, Will I get this stuff back? She hadn't been able to take it off even after discovering his deceit. She couldn't help but wish she had visited him in the hospital. He needed her. A bullet to the brain had erased every memory of her from Zaire's mind, and Breeze hadn't wanted to remind him. She wanted to move on with their baby by herself and leave him in her past. She couldn't help but think this was her karma for abandoning him. When you process out, all your items will be returned, the guard said. Breeze closed her eyes and kissed the ring before placing it in the bag. It was a slim chance she would ever see the six-figure diamond again. Don't think about him. Don't think about anything or anybody outside of this place, she thought. She was cuffed again and escorted on the B block. Welcome to your new home, princess. As long as the institution isn't overcrowded, you'll have your own cell while you're pregnant. Don't get used to it. As soon as you pop out that kid... We'll move someone else in, the guard said, handling her roughly as she removed the cuffs and then nudged Breeze into the cell. The walls immediately felt like they were closing in on her. It wasn't what she envisioned it to be. There were no bars, only white brick walls, steel doors with electric locks and fluorescent lights. A bunk bed with a stained mattress and a toilet that smelled were the only amenities. Breeze was afraid to move. The thought of laying her head on the soiled bed made her skin crawl. The flutter in her stomach caused her baby to kick, and Breeze knew she would have to control her emotions. I can't break in here, she thought. She sat down on the bottom bunk and cringed. Breeze knew nothing about struggle. Yes, she does. Like, what are we doing? Seriously, what are we doing here? What kind of revisionist history are we hitting up? What are we doing? Just because y'all had her in a drugged up haze doesn't mean she doesn't remember struggle. Just because y'all had her in a place where she wasn't supposed to be there, y'all have her in that same place now, according to you. So when she was being assaulted and kidnapped and she was strapped down to the bed, she knows struggle, fam. What are we doing? This is irritating. Y'all did all this stuff to Breeze and now y'all acting like y'all didn't do nothing to her and this is a new adventure for her. Like she hasn't been through this before. She didn't come up rough. She didn't have roaches and she never dealt with mice or fought with jealous girls on the block. Wait, I'm not going to waste my time going back to find out when she had to fuck with girls who were fucking with her. Who had, She had to fight girls when she got betrayed, I believe, at the point where the white woman was getting her hopped up on drugs. And when she had to fight with Ileana and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to go back and find it. I don't want to. I don't have time. But y'all can't act like you ain't done shit to her. That's all I'm saying. There had been no syrup sandwiches or hand-me-down rags. Breeze knew nothing about making something out of nothing, and behind these walls, that would be a weakness. Coming from the top would make the bottom feel lowered and low. She bent over and rested her elbows on her knees. The walls were so tight around her that it felt like she would suffocate. Breeze was in a desperate way, and it would take everything in her to make it out of prison alive. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Spotify, it only takes a few seconds. Then leave a review on Podchaser, 
copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast, and then copy and paste that in the Good Pods. You can also leave a tip for the show on patreon.com slash single simulcast or on buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. There's a tip jar. Um, all tips will be used to either buy books for this show or buy movies for hindsight or buy television shows for the RTO Podcast Network. Thank you again for everybody who's been checking me out. I really do appreciate it. Thank you to the folks who have donated on Patreon. I appreciate that because buying these books is bullshit. But I love reading, so it is what it is. And I love reading to y'all. Let me know what y'all think. Thank you again. I'll holler at y'all later. Y'all be good. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.